This is Genre Talk. This is Genre Talk. This is Genre Talk. Genre Talk with Brian Thomas Schmidt and Philip Vargas and special guest Weston Oaks. I will give my creativity away if you just ask me, you know. Give me a glass of wine, we'll talk for hours, and, and you know, you can walk away with your own IP. I got no problem with that. Now, here are Brian Thomas Schmidt and Philip Vargas. Hello, Philip. Hello, audience. How are we doing tonight? Dude, I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, man. I'm doing fine. Boy, I tell you, it's, uh, it's full swing into fall right now, or, you know, at least uh, the fall school season. So it's kind of an interesting time where the weather's starting to change a little bit, cool down a little bit, starting to be uh, a lot better, and uh, and various, uh, you know, activities starting back up. It's kind of interesting. It's It feels a little more normal than last fall, so that's kind of nice. Although I'm still hesitant to go anywhere. I just canceled a convention because of the Delta variant, and I'm not going to take a chance and go to that. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the Delta variant is definitely something that's kind of top of mind at the moment. You know, I, I just, uh, yesterday, the family, the whole family went out to eat at a restaurant, and uh, luckily they had, you know, it was all alfresco, and it was, you know, it, it, it certainly helped, you know, for us to feel better about the, uh, you know, going out to a restaurant since it was outside dining. Uh, you know, and it it, it, feel, it feels kind of bad because you know we were ready to kind of get things started back to hopefully moving back to normal, and it just kind of feels like two step, you know, a step forward, two steps back at the moment. Yeah, well, it's also you know, I think this mandate, and I don't want to debate the politics of it at all because that's not yeah. what we do on the show. Good or bad, the mandate's going to get a lot more people vaccinated. I think that can only help us with getting past the virus stage. Not, I mean, the virus isn't going anywhere, but we can at least get to the point where enough people are inoculated that the risk goes way down. So we'll have to see how that manifests. But I think over the next few months, we we should see some significant progress if that goes forward. So, Yeah, huh. I certainly hope so. I, I think, you know, we definitely need to get to the point where I think the biggest issue that we have now is because we, you know, the percentages of people vaccinated just it isn't high enough. You know, this thing is still out in the wild. It's still mutating, and each, you know, each variant, you know, brings about the possibility of having to start from square one, right? If if we get to a point where it's mutated to the to the point where it's, you know, the vaccine's no longer effective, or the you know, or the therapies that we have are no longer effective, which is kind of what we're starting to the incomes yeah. of this new variant, the mu variant, right? It's 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 that that that's the big fear. So, you know, I think got it, getting as many people as possible vaccinated is the only kind of way to really stop. Well, I read a science article the other day that said that they actually expected if more people were vaccinated that we would be at that phase right now where where, where the risks had gone way down. And since there's been all this anti-vax stuff, it's yeah. kind of really discouraged a lot of people and confused a lot of people. So I think, you know, this mandate will probably, whether people want to argue the rights issue or whatever, people are going to get vaccinated who didn't get vaccinated and that's, that's only going to help. And I, you know, I, I personally think everybody's going to feel, regardless of how they feel about the political maneuvers that have gone on, they're going to feel better once we get back to that point. So, I mean, we all want to go back to normal. So 
that's, you know, fingers crossed, that's what this does. I mean, if we have to go that far, let's see it do the right, let's see it be effective. Yeah. You know. But anyway, enough on that, because that's, I'm sure, a political update for some of our listeners. But, you know, it's just an interesting time to live and, and see all these things. I've been checking out. I've been checking out a couple shows, you know, I just like continue my rewatch of Hill Street Blues and and I added uh I don't remember if I edited it last time or not. I started to rewatch Miami Vice as well and I I also have uh, been uh watching um rewatching New Girl, which was a sitcom that I enjoyed and I I'm still enjoying that. And uh as far as reading goes, I'm still finishing up Flatlander, which I was reading last time. I've had a lot of interruptions though and had to read a lot of stories for projects I'm putting together. So that always slows down my reading time because um my eyes get tired. So what are you work what are you what what fun stuff are you checking out these days? Well, so yeah, I'm gonna there's two buckets, right? There's the bucket that of things that I'm 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 currently reading, which uh at the moment is Scott Sigler's uh, uh Galactic Football League, right? I'm on book I'm about to start book three, which is the uh the all-star. I think the first book is called The Rookie. The second book is called The Starter. And I think, the, I believe the third book is The All-Star. And uh, yeah, I've been enjoying that book. Uh, you know, as I, I like to mention last time, you know, I, I I had kind of hesitated reading those books just because I'm not, I'm not necessarily a huge football fan uh, or a football fan kind of at all, really, to be honest with you. And I just, I, I got into it. And I actually now, like, I'm actually thinking about watching a little football just based off the book. But the second bucket is kind of the stuff that I'm waiting on, right? So it's, you know, right now I think Dune is just around the corner. I am, I am just, I can't wait to see what that looks like. And I think to, you know, on on Monday the uh, 13th of September, uh, uh, Why the Last Man will come out on FX on Hulu there. And is that a uh, show? It's a show that's based off a comic book series that was a uh, like early 2000s. Uh, it was a, it was a it's a comic book series uh, by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra, who was the artist on that book. Brian K. Vaughn was the the writer. Pia Guerra was the the the, the penciler, the artist. And it was a it was a book that was uh, published by uh, uh, DC's uh, Vertical Imprint. Great book. It kind of is this post apocalyptic uh, science fiction comic book that kind of centers around the idea that uh, like all the men on Earth just kind of one day just die. Just you know, every single last one, except for uh, the, the kind of the, one of the protagonists of the book. His name is Yorick, and his pet uh, monkey Ampersand are kind of like the only males who survive this uh, kind of a uh, global uh, anthracite there. And it's yeah, it's it's called Why the Last Man. The comic book was great. Uh, everything I've seen so far, uh, as far as like the trailers and the teasers for the TV series, looked. Incredible, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. I haven't even heard about it, but that then I don't know the comic book, so maybe it just slipped by me and I didn't notice because yeah. I I didn't recognize it. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, look, I have look it up on YouTube. Yeah, why the last man? You know, like you know, like why chromosome? Why the last man? Just look it up on YouTube. There's a bunch of oh, why why is in why? Well, that I see. I wouldn't even have known that that was the way it was. Okay. Yeah. Now the other thing that I actually am watching, I just remembered is that's pretty cool. Is 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 only murders in the building? Steve Martin's new limited series. Mm. I like it. I, it's him and Martin Short who are always funny. I, I personally think Selena Gomez is the, is the weak link. She couldn't act her way out of a cardboard box from what I've seen so far, but maybe she'll get better. But nonetheless, she's just very flat and emotionless in my opinion. But uh, but those guys are funny, and it's it's about these these three 
like true crime aficionados who actually discover a crime in their own building and then start investigating. Okay. And it's uh, on Hulu. I haven't seen that it's yet. Really, yeah. Kind of really entertaining. I think they're three or four, I think I've seen three episodes. The fourth episode must have dropped by now, and I need to go watch it. And uh, there's going to be like ten episodes, and uh, you know, it's it's actually it's a rated R TV series. I mean, the language is very explicit, so it's not you know your typical. Uh, but it's only a half an hour. It's a half hour little mystery show. Is it so, on the Is it on the network or on one of the streams? On Hulu. Services? On Hulu. Okay. Yeah, it's a Hulu show. It's a Hulu original. Got it. Yeah, okay. so that's worth checking out too. Also on the pop culture front, that brings us to our guest. Our guest is an author named Weston Oaks. Weston has written Aliens uh, Infiltrator. I think that's the name of it, his latest book, which is a uh, you know a, a based on on the new game, and he got to invent a new kind of xenomorph. So he's going to tell us about that. He also is a vet who served in Afghanistan. Now, this interview was done months ago, long before the pullout. So there's no commentary on his thoughts on that. However, he does talk about how, how his military life has influenced his writing. He writes a lot of military sci-fi, some really, really good series that you all want, including the Grunt series, which you all might want to check out. He's got, I think, the SEAL Team 666 series is another one of his. And there's another one after that, and I don't remember the name of that one off the top of my head, but we talk about it. So there's uh, there's some really good reading there for you guys to check out. Uh, he's also um, written an Aliens versus Predator story for for uh, and and Predator stories for me and various things. Oh, it was actually just a Predator story. Sorry, he didn't do the AVP. His wife did. Sorry about that. And uh, he's done a bunch of different stuff and uh, has a lot of short stories out there, and he's a really entertaining, fun guy. We had a really lively, great conversation, as I recall, and uh, we're looking forward to sharing with you now. So without further ado, here's John Rattak with Weston Oaks. Weston Oaks is an American author and educator who won the Bram Stoker Award for Best First Novel for Scarecrow Gods in 2005 and has been nominated for the Pushcart Prize for his short fiction. His novel, Seal Team 666, is currently under development by MGM Films, with Dwayne Johnson attached to executive producer and star. In 2017, he appeared in a DC comic special, DC House of Horror, Volume 1, where he wrote a story about a possessed Shazam. Weston holds a Bachelor of Arts in American Literature from Excelsior College and a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. He's been a gross-out contest bouncer, a Toastmaster, a guest of honor, and is a veteran who has served as a civilian defense uh, worker in places like Afghanistan. He is an adjunct faculty member for Cochise Community College and associate professor for Southern New Hampshire University and has run the online guerrilla fiction writing workshop. He currently lives in Southern Arizona with his wife and fellow author, Yvonne Navarro. Weston, welcome to Counter Talks. Mm, thank you very much. You know, you make me sound a lot more important than I am. Well, that's the idea. We want people to want to listen, see. <laughs> so, let's start with the fun stuff. What were you fanning over when you were growing up? Oh, man. See, I was really lucky. Um, I grew up in a family of educators. So, my, my dad taught college early on, and my mom taught high school early on, and they both taught English. So, so my bookshelves were filled with, you know, a lot of great Stuff. And from the age of seven, they said, read what you want. And I would read what I wanted to. 
So I knew about Prester John when I was eight, you know, and, and, and I knew about, I knew about the Crusades when I was nine. And, you know, I just, I love that stuff. And then when I was 11, I got sick for one day and my mom brought down her 1970s paperback of Lord of the Rings trilogy, oh. right? The ones with the, with the 70s triptych cover that they have. And, yeah. um, and I faked being sick the rest of the week so I could read the whole thing in bed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> one right after the other. So for five oh. days, I was <laughs> sick. <laughs> That's one of those experiences I wish I could relive because the first time you read Lord of the Rings, man, it's just, it is the greatest thing. It's so amazing. I it is. Like that. It's fantastic. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where did you grow up? So we traveled around a lot because, you know, when my, when my dad was younger, I mean, he was a, he was a college professor, then he went to business later, but when he was a professor, you know, we spent six months one place, six months another. So I was born in Wyoming. My family is from the Black Hills of South Dakota, so we're, we're actually Black Hills pioneers, which means um, we can uh, establish our family back before 1876 in the Black Hills. Wow. Um, and, my, and my great-grandfather was called King of the Woods. Uh, because he provided all the wood to the Homestead Gold Mine, and that was an actual title that they gave people. It's so funny. And then just moved, you know, you know, Nebraska and Ohio and Indiana and New Jersey and you know, so many states. And but I ended up spending most of my childhood, my adolescence, in Tennessee. So Chattanooga, Tennessee, I lived there from 1974 to 1984, so that's a good 10 years. That's a great city, too. That'd be a fun place to grow up, I think. It is a great city. Yeah, it is. I, I, I really I really liked it. I really appreciated growing up there. Although, you know, it is, it, it, it is the South, so it has everything to do with the South. And we were the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. So, so on Sundays, instead of watching football, they wouldn't put football on TV. It was all church. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's the Bible Belt for you. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, so what? What age did you decide you wanted to do creating stuff? Like be a be a writer, be a creator of stuff. So when I was seven years old in second grade, I wrote a story, the five-page story for the Panther Press. No, it's third grade. Five-page story for the Panther Press in Hackettstown, New Jersey, and it was called "What Became What Became a Charlie." And it was a morality tale about this kid who was told not to take shortcuts to school. He took shortcuts to school and was eaten by a bear. And the problem was three of the five pages I, I wrote about how he was eaten by the bear and how the bear digested him, right? Now, <laughs> Great detail. What happened, what happened then was that the PTA got a hold of that. They recalled the paper. That was the only news that the school paper ever recalled. And I didn't write again for 20 years. You were banned at a young age. <laughs> I mean, at seven years old, I was, I was banned by the PTA. So, but, um, no, it's kind of funny you were writing the kind of stuff you're writing now. You were writing horror, so there you go. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, writing, I'm writing true to school, you know. I mean, yeah. you know. You know, bears do what bears do, and, you know, if you want to know what they do, don't watch Yogi Bear. Just watch one of those movies about the guy who lived with the bear. Well, and had you – had seven-year-old, you actually researched how the, the, real, the realistic, you know, how a bear eats thing, or did you just make it up? I just made it up. Oh, I see. I mean, okay. 
I mean, seven seven years old. Gosh, that was that was uh, 1972, and even Al Gore hadn't 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 invented the internet by then. So, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I got you. I mean, I was just curious. You know, some people would actually do that. I remember one time when I was a kid writing that story, I called my 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 vet. And I asked him how to tranquilize a bear, and I didn't even think to set up the context. He freaked out. He's like, wait a minute. Why are you asking me this? <laughs> you know, I was just like, I'm just doing research. I, I don't want to waste time with explanation, you know. So, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So that was your first story, and that was your first sale, but it wasn't really a good experience, unfortunately. No, it wasn't. And then, then when I turned 30, um, I decided – I thought every 30-year-old did this. Right, but I guess I'm like the only 30 year old who's ever done this. And I thought that you you turned 30 was such a such a cathartic age that you look backwards and say, well, what haven't you you know what have you done that you want to stop um, doing? And then what and then look forwards. What do you do? What did you want to do that you haven't done? And so and so when I turned 30, I you know I I, I tried to stop doing a lot of my bad things and and then I looked forward and said, well, I wanted to write, so let me just write. And I hadn't, you know, I didn't graduate college. I was in the 20-year plan with the Army, so I didn't graduate college until 2004 with my bachelor's degree. But I won the Bram Stoker in 2005 of a book that was written in 2002, and I started writing in 1997. So I had the benefit of a lot of creativity, but not a lot of grammar, because I was a product of the Tennessee education system, which at the time was um, 48th in the nation only behind Alabama and Alaska. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, so that was the first, like, in, that was the first novel you wrote, like you said, Scarecrow Gods, right? Yeah, well, so I started writing a novel first back in 97, and I realized I didn't know that, I did, just didn't know how to do it. I mean, I was three or four chapters in, I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So I wrote my first, um, the first short story, and I sent it to Weird Tales, and I got a seven-page rejection letter for a six-page short story. And, and thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, they detailed all of my errors, you know, <laughs> and, uh, which, which were phenomenal. I mean, I was, one, of the, one of the statements in there was of repeated and egregious violations of antecedents to the pronoun. Interesting. You know, it's funny that... They must have seen something in the story, though, to go to all that detail to give you notes, you know, because they don't have time well, to do that was, for everybody. It was Daryl Schweitzer, and I've since met Daryl on many occasions. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great guy and a great Cthulhu um, scholar. And, um, and you know, he, he, he authentically cares about newer writers. And the funny thing was is I had to call my mom up with high school English teacher and ask her, Mom, what's an antecedent to a pronoun? And here's how she told me. And and you guys will appreciate this. Jack and Jill fell down the hill. He broke his crown. Who broke his crown? Jack. It is the heat, right? So Jack and Bill fell down the hill. He broke his crown. Who broke his crown? We don't know because they're both heat. So that's how she taught me. And I'm like, Mom, you're a genius. She says, yeah, my school was teacher. Of course I am. So, and ever since then, I have not made that mistake again. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I I know exactly kind of what you're talking about because I, I think early on in my career, it, a lot of it is is, is more creativity than, than than like writing knowledge and grammar and all those right. things. Right. Yeah. 
you know. And there's a lot of hubris in us, right, Philip? Where you know we yeah. we actually write, knowing that we can't write, but we're still writing. I mean, I mean, what makes us what makes us do that? That's ridiculous. Well, we I know mean, we can't do it, but we're still doing it. We're still doing it. Part, yeah. Part of it is you have something to say, right? I mean, don't you you feel like you have something to say? You have stories to tell. Oh yeah, it's such a creative outlet. I I needed I needed something, you know. Yeah. I needed something. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I yeah, I know exactly that hubris you're talking about. I mean, that's part of also like personally why I stayed away from prose for a long, long time, right? Because really? I was like, you know, you know, the, the, when when you write stuff like comic books or animation, you know, it can it can be very just descriptive and dry, and it doesn't need to have the 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 beauty that prose can sometimes you, that, that you kind of expect from prose, right? You expect it to have to have a certain level of of writing craft, you know, versus right. just the story craft stuff. So yeah, <laughs> I know exactly where you're coming from with that. So what was it like to win? A, I mean, you went from being banned to winning a Stoker, your first novel. Well, that was a that was kind of a big deal. It was a big deal, yeah. You know, I worked real. I spent two years working on that novel, and um, I had many different characters. The, and the whole idea of the novel came up with, I was looking at the NPR one day, and they talked about what the worst job was in the world. And the worst job in the world is there are people in, in the South who, when, when a chicken plant, they take all the chicken parts that can't be made in, into nuggets, which is, which is very little because almost everything is in nuggets, you know, toenails, whatever, uh, earlobes. But then they, then they put it in this huge vat, right, and they grow fishing grow. And they have to have someone who stirs it. And the person who stirs it was, became the hero of that novel. And I made it in such a way that, that not only was he a, a person who had to stir that, but he had no legs and he had only one arm. And he had been tortured in Vietnam and he was terrified of any version of the cross to include telephone poles, window frames, anything that had you know, the cross markings of it. Because because right across from him, he had to watch his best friend die and rot in front of him. So that was the idea for the story. And then and then James Ferris, I remember James Ferris, had a great book called Keeper of the Children. I don't know if you remember that. But it was a great old horror novel about a person who was able to do astral projection into stuffed animals. And so, and so the book was about astral projection, a little boy taken under the wing of this Vietnam vet um, to try and save his sister who fell under the thrall of a cult in Arizona. And the favorite char- well, one of the favorite characters that happened to be was I had a character who was possessed, and he was an actual rocket scientist who worked for Raytheon, and to make it so that he could confuse the voices in his head. He would talk in palindromes, metaphor, and anagrams. And let me tell you, to write conversations where he's doing anagrams and palindromes as his complete conversation, because he doesn't talk any other way, was hard. So I would write like chapters of a time with this guy, Billy Bones was his name. For instance, here's here's something you'll find funny, Brian. So an anagram for evangelist is evil's agent. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. How, yeah, yeah. how was that? An anagram for dormitory is evil, is, is uh, dirty room. Dirty room? <laughs> dirty room, dormitory. 
and you know, and so, and so here I am. And so I was working these things up before they had the 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 anagram generators, right? Yeah. And now it's easy. You just type stuff in, boom. I mean, I was like pages and pages and pages going, okay, I want to say, I want to use, because everything he says is a clue, right? And it has to be a clue to you, the reader. But the thing was is that you had to work for it. Because he can't say the real thing because the voices in his head, he's trying to confuse us. So it was a very complicated book I wrote. And it's probably the most complicated book I've ever written. And it's, you know, the only one that's won a Bram Stoker Award, although I've been nominated five other times. But, you know, it's a nice nod from the community to say thank you for contributing this. Yeah, that, yeah that, somewhere that, I have a copy of that I need to read. I haven't read that yet, but I have a copy somewhere. Anyway, Scarecrow Gods. Yeah. I well, mean, it's my first book, so forgive me. It's not, it's not, it's probably not the easiest, it's not as easy to read as the 30th book I have, but I still think it has some lasting quality, so. Yeah, I mean, well, speaking of all the books you've, you've, you've written, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot, several, several novels and stuff, but I guess you're one of your best-known series is uh, SEAL Team 666, which is like, for those who don't know, it's about a, a special forces team that kind of fights demons and cults and possess humans and all kinds of just like fantastical yep. like, evil creatures. Now, where did that right. idea come from? Where where did that, you know? So that comes straight from um, my friend Brendan, Brendan Deneen. Um, I knew him when he was a stringer for Dimension Films, um, and then he became an agent, and then he became then he became an editor for uh, Simon Schuster. Um, and the thing was, is it goes to show that, you know, never be an asshole. Always be nice. Always be always. You know, always make friends because if you're an asshole, they're, they're not going to like you. And one in in like May 2011, I was at the dead the dead dog party of um, the World Horror Convention in Austin, Texas. And it was me. It was Jack Ketchum. It was Guard Goldsmith, Mike McCarty, a few other people, and we were closing down the thing. And um, Guard ran up and said, "Turn on the TV." He turned on the TV. And it was President Obama saying, we have now killed the COVID-1, right? That was May 2nd, um, 2011. May 3rd, I got a text from Brandon saying, deal team 666, what do you think of that? And first of all, I thought it was a great freaking title. Um, secondly, I then sat down. I wrote a two-page pitch, sent it to him. He said the contract's on the way. Oh, so he bought it from you, too. Well, that was good. Yep. Yep, he bought it from me, too. And then MGM picked it up. Now MGM no longer has the has the rights to it. Those expired, but um, Seven Bucks Production has it. And Seven Bucks Production, they have a shopping agreement for it. They're the company owned by Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson. Oh, okay. Rock. And it's called yeah. Seven Bucks Production because when Dwayne Johnson showed up to Hollywood, he had seven bucks in his pocket. Huh. Well, now you you've got three books in that series, right? There's a, there's Age of Blood and Reign of Evil, as well as the you know the there Seal is. Team, right? Well, Are you going to there's, there's there's three and a half books. So there's those okay. books, and then a lot of fans don't know, but there's a prequel that I did for Tor, and it's funny. Tor said write a write a short story based in this universe. I said what's my what's my what's my um, pay rate? He said twenty five cents a word, and then I said okay, cool. What's my limit? She said, they said, well, there's no limit. I said, okay, fine. So I wrote a 15,000-word short story. <laughs> the word. You wrote a novelette. Yeah, yeah. 
I know. Well, so so there's a big there's a big chunky prequel that that tells the story of what happened to the sniper before Jack Walker got there um, to replace him, and it takes place on the on the Mexican American border with Chupacabra, who are who are owned by a, a drug running cartel. So it, it's a, it's a pretty good story. But as far as any of the books, they keep getting asked are there going to be any more books in the series. The problem with having so it's good news, bad news. Good news is that they want to make a movie out of it. Bad news is that the rights are tied up. So so as long as the rights are tied up, they don't want to do anything about it um, until the movie happens and, uh, or the TV series happens. And I've since been in meetings with Seven Bucks, and they've talked about a major movie star who's interested. They've talked about directors. So, so there's been a lot of movement the last six months, and it looks like it's going to become a thing. Of course, I can't tell you because, you know, we can't talk about Fight Club, so. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's kind of a catch-22. You sell it to Hollywood, which is kind of a dream, but then it ties you up from doing other things. So, yeah. It I does. Hear I hear you. It does. But, you know, then I moved on to Grunt Life, you know. Right. You did the Grunt series, which is also known as Task Force Umbra, and it's a, and they're a task force saving humanity from extinction. And, and that also has three books. So what? tell us about Task Force Umbra. So Task Force Umber is a, is, a, is a group of three books uh, that also, also wrote two separate novellas um, in the series. One is the uh, called The Bowling League at the End of the World, and the other one is called Shatner Rules. Um, and if you read book two, you know what Shatner Rules means. And and basically, what what would William Shatner do? <laughs> and and the whole conceit of the novel was, with the success of Seal Team 666, Solaris reached out to me, and they asked, me to write a, um, a sci-fi series for them, a military sci-fi series. And I had written a couple uh, work-for-hire books for them. Um, I had written um, uh, one of their apocalypse books, uh, Blood Ocean, and then I'd written a zombie um, tie-in with them called uh, Empire's Fault. So, so they knew that I could write and they knew I could deliver, and um, that's a big deal for authors. Because not a lot of authors write and deliver on time, um, as you might know, Brian. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so, um, and so they reached out to me, and I wanted. I, so I decided that I looked at all the sci-fi novels I love, and I decided this: I wanted to write a, a book about military folks who have PTSD, and and make PTSD a central theme of the story, so that their brain chemistry was was different enough to where, because of their PTSD, the aliens couldn't affect them mm. as, as they would another human being. And my favorite part of all three books takes place in, like, chapters three through seven, I think, which is where um, I take the main character and all the other characters down into a bunker uh, underneath the Wyoming Plains with an old Titan rocket uh, place and they're put in cake and they're put in cells and they're forced to read every sci-fi novel about alien invasion possible and they're forced forced to read every book about about World War II and Vietnam or or watch every movie about Vietnam and World War II and then they have to critically talk about it to each other so so they're talking about Starship Troopers they're talking about Old Man's War they're talking about all this stuff because right. here's the deal. There's no master's degree program anywhere in the world about what you do with an alien invasion, right? There's nothing. There's no right. school that teaches this. 
the only school is a school of science fiction. And so I wanted to, so I had these guys read these books. And so I got to name check all my favorite authors. And I got to talk about all my favorite plots. And then later on, when they're fighting them, they would utilize them and say, well, this is not what Robert Heinlein would do. He would do X. So... Well, so I cool. love that part. So that was, in, that was in the first book, right? You said chapters three through seven, the first book. I right? think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, it's always fun when you can do that. Now, you all, didn't you also write a short story? That, that was your short story you wrote for me, right? It was also in Grunt, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, that, was, that was the one I wrote for you for um, the... Um, Infinite Stars. Infinite Stars. Yeah, I got it right over there. Uh, yeah. I, got two, I got two of them mailed to me in fact. And, uh, yeah, that was... That was the prequel with Mr. Pink. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was um, um, Bowling League at the End of the World. Yep. Yeah, it was a bowling story. I, was, I, I got a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah. And the thing was, is, is, is it starred Mr. Pink and two paramedics, and both the paramedics were super fans of mine um, who are actually paramedics, and so I put them in the story. Yeah, I didn't know that until you said – I saw some interviewer or something where – or... mm-hmm. No, when you when you put that on Facebook when the trade paperback came out like a couple of weeks ago, I didn't realize that those were the super fans. This whole time I didn't know that, so it's funny. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you're, you're say a fan. You Tuckerize people like I'm a fan boy at heart, so I love to Tuckerize fans and Tuckerize my friends and do all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah. You know, it's it, it's fun and, it, and people get a kick out of it. Every once in a while, you get somebody though who's like, "Hey, you made me a bad guy. What's up with that?" <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so you've also done a lot of, you know, you've also been able to be a fanboy because you do a lot of tie-in work. Like you wrote a Predator story and a Joe Ledger story for me for anthologies. You've done Alien stories. You've done Hellboy. You did the X-Files. And now you've got an Aliens novel based on a new video game. So tell us about that. Aliens so, Predator, Alien right? Infiltrator. Um, think of this. It's The Office meets Alien. The Office That's meets Alien. So I wanted to show how how inoperable Wayland Utani was as a corporation at the end at the end, edge of the universe, how terrible they were. So basically it's I spent a lot of time building up, you know, about just the inter office politics and inter office dynamics of of Wayland of, of Utani before I, you know, the aliens oh oh my gosh, they escaped. Of course, we have to do that because they have to kill everybody or almost everybody. That's that's right. what happens, you know. But but what makes mine different is it's it's the office meets alien, and so far, everyone has just loved the hell out of out of it, and, and 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 it is a prequel to a game. So the making of it became pretty hard because I I did four or five pitches and. Um, um, and not only did I have to, have to deal with the game, but Disney now owns Fox. So because they own Fox, they own the Aliens franchise. So I also had, had to deal with Disney because because Disney now owns Aliens. Right. So right. you have to get approval from all these people for whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just dealing with that. Jonathan and I were dealing with that on the Aliens versus Predator anthology. I was just telling Philip about this earlier. That's what we've been dealing with this week, and just now I got an email with more feedback from Disney, and it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting process because they discuss it in the comments. So you're reading through all their discussion, and then you get to like, what is it they actually want us to do? 
<laughs> well, you know, you know, God, God bless them, as as we say down south. You know, bless their heart. Um, they, uh, they, 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 they own this. They own this franchise now, and, and I think they're just now coming to terms with it. And so, and I totally understand it because it was after. So, Avon and I, Avon, Avon, who's who's in your 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 new anthology with the Alien versus Predator. Yeah. Um, that has a great story in that. She and I, I can announce it now because it's been finally approved. We're doing an AVP novel together. Right. I knew that. Yeah. So we're doing this AVP novel together, and it was finally approved today after seven rewrites. Oh, so and, it's like approved, done, approved. Yeah, okay. And so, and so, and so the deal was is that um, it was after the third rewrite that they came up they came to us with guardrails. They okay, these are our new guardrails for for ABP. We're like, well, okay. I wish we had these before, but now we have them. Okay, good. We have them, but that changed everything, right? And so you might be experiencing the same thing as they as, as they're maturing in their in their um, ideas about how they want to present aliens and predators. They are establishing how they want the franchise to go forward. Well, and also you're you're merging you're merging two teams. You have the old Fox team that was doing this forever, that has been doing the job, and then you've got new Disney people that are bringing them in and trying to mix them into the Disney culture, and of course Disney has a slightly different philosophy, and so all of sure. that's going on at the same time, so it complicates things. So yeah, you know, get it, it. It, it's just an interesting process, but it's certainly, there's challenges to it, but, you know, it is their IP, so, you know, you, you don't, you just do it. You do what you need to do. And then imagine, and then, and then imagine my alien novel is not only Fox, it's not only Disney, but it's also Coldplay, or uh, uh, not Coldplay, um, Cold Iron Studios, so the right. uh, the, uh, the uh, game company who who I had to deal with too, and they're not used to work work with authors at all. So they would ask me a lot of questions, and I'd be like, "It's in the book. It's in the book. It's in the book. It's in the book." You know, right? Well, and Philip gets that because Philip works for a big game company, and he's you know he he's working on one of the biggest games in the world, so he knows all about that process. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I, you know, there, there's there's always a a little bit of that going on almost in every single campaign or project that that, that we work on. What do you work for? Which 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 game company, Philip? Uh, League of Legends. Uh, League of Legends is the game. The the, the company. Oh. Like Riot Games. Yeah. Oh man, my buddy Kino has been playing that for years. He loves that game. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's. A, a lot of fans out there. It's a great game. I mean, I I was playing it before I ever even got the job there. So, you know, for oh, me, oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. So I I've, I've been there for about uh, I don't know, almost six years now. So, so my yeah. thing is I'm so addictive with with games that um, if I don't have a block of time, I can't play it because if I play it, I'm not writing. Oh, I'm just I, yeah, I have to be very careful about that too because I can yeah. go down the rabbit hole. So, really- so, so I never played World of Warcraft, but I played Asheron's Call, which which was the predecessor mm-hmm. to World of Warcraft, right? Yeah. And Asheron's Call was a pretty damn good game, and um, and I played that and almost didn't get married. I lost a book contract, and, and I lost three months of just Todd. They were just gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, talking about losing months uh, when when Modern Warfare, Call of Duty, the, the came out, the 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 the, the you know the original kind of modern warfare guy. like I lost an entire summer just you know yeah. playing that game you know and it was yeah. constant 
Yeah. And so, and so it's, it's hard for me. I mean, there's a couple of games I really want to play right now, but, um, I mean, the last game I played through was Witcher 3, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and there's several more games I want to play, but I really have to just, you know, especially now, and this is a good segue, because, you know, one of the things you guys want to talk about is what do I have coming up, right? Um, yeah. But John, John Mayberry and I signed a six-figure contract to write three books for, for Atheon um, books. And so, and so he and I are, 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 are co-writing a major military sci-fi series that's already had interest from Hollywood. So, um, And I have yet to begin writing it. He has yet to begin writing it. We're going to start about July. You know, start writing it. But in the meantime, I have to finish my 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 Gawain book. I'm doing it. I'm doing a modernization of Sir Gawain, a 21st century modernization, because there hasn't been a really good modernization since um, Tolkien did it in the 1950s. And then I also have to work on the AVP book I'm telling you about. And then starting July, I got three books coming up. Uh, you know, basically I I, I got what 360,000 words I have to be begin working on. For fans, by fans, this is Genre Talk. Questions or comments? Find a Genre Talk on Facebook at Genre Talk Podcast. Now, back to the show. I mean, we're yeah. talking about all these kind of projects, you know, and going back to the Aliens novel, you know, what was, were there any kind of like specific challenges you found working on like on a video game, you know, property as opposed to like movies and TV shows? No, have- it wasn't because yeah. the video game property is actually fun because once they understood that I'm just doing the backstory and that they could like, use my backstory as their intro story, it was good, right? Because because that's all I'm at. The moment my book ends is when the game begins. Got it. Yeah. And so and so I was able to put a lot of Easter eggs in the book for gamers yeah. and stuff like that. And um and I also created I got to create two brand new Xenomorphs. So So now that must have been pretty cool. That that's awesome. That was cool. And yeah. I'm told both of those are in the game. Yeah. That's... And one and, and one has chameleon properties. So how early how early in the process of them creating the game did you start doing this novel? Because if you know, if they've already incorporated stuff into the game, um, they had to be kind of in a certain phase for you to, you know Oh no, 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 no. I I started writing the novel like right as they started writing the game. And, oh okay. and and part of me felt like I was helping them write the game. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually a great time because the collaboration could really, really work yeah. well. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it because I'm, I'm a creative guy, and I'll, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sad thing, but, I mean, I will give my creativity away if you just ask me. Like, you know, give me a glass of wine. We'll talk for hours, and, 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 and you know, you can walk away with your own IP. I got no problem with that. Okay, well, I want to, I'm going to write a note and uh, make sure next time I'm in uh, Arizona – to pay you a little visit with uh, wine in hand. <laughs> Come on down, Philip. That'd be great, no, I'm man. Just thinking, be great. No problem with that at all. I'm just wow. thinking next time I have a plot problem, I know who to call to pick his brain. <laughs> yeah. 
No, yeah. I mean, I seriously, I have so many ideas. It, it's pathetic. It's, it's just insane. My wife calls me a mutant. I have people who will call me up and say, Wes, I, I, I have a problem with, with getting from here to here, and I'll, and I'll say, oh, we'll do this. They'll be like, damn it, you're a genius. Okay, okay, well, whatever, because it's just the way my mind works. I'm really good at that, right? I can't, I can't tune a car. I can't turn a wrench. I can't hammer a nail. I can't, I can't do anything useful, right? But I can fish, and I can write. That's it. I mean, well, talking about, you mentioned earlier you have, what, like 360,000 words you need to write, you know? Uh, so what's that, I mean, what's your typical, you know, writing process like? How do you get those 360,000 words, you know, what kind of so, drafts, outlines, how, how does that work for you? I'm, I'm so, always interested to hear what the process is for every writer. So John and I are going to work together, and we're going to draft this out in an outline because, you know, we we, we, we want to make sure we're on board with, with how the book's going to go uh, because yeah. we're actually working together on this um, 50-50. So, so, um, but, but normally what I would do is I would do a minimalist outline of a couple lines uh, per chapter, and then I would, I would go forth and conquer. And I would be about 70% true to my outline. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, that's just – normally I do outlines because editors want outlines, um, you know, especially the big five. I mean, if you work with the big five or, 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 or the U.K., they want to know that you know what the end of the story is, and, and they want to kind of keep seeing it. And, and once they're happy with it, they'll say, go forth and write it. And so I do. And I belong to the, the Tom Picker really school of writing. So Tom Picker really – um, you guys might not know. It's a friend of mine back in the day. He, he's been passed. And he wrote both horror and thriller fiction. And his philosophy was this. He says, you treat writing like a marathon, not like a sprint. So don't ever look at the finish line. Just look at the, at the space in front of your feet, which means you write five pages a day. That's it. Five pages a day. In five pages a day, you have a 90,000 word novel in three months. That's it. That's it. And so if you miss a day, okay, you write 10 pages the next day, whatever. I mean, uh, you know, but, but, but five pages is not hard. You can write a page in the morning, two pages in about noon, a page and a half before, before dinner, and a page at night. You're done. I mean, that's it, five pages. So when people come up to me and they say stuff like, oh, I so admire you being able to write a novel, I'm like, there's nothing hard about it. Anyone can do it. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, can you write one page a day? And they're like, well, yeah. I said, well, then if you write one page a day for a year, you have a novel. Now. They're like, well, it's true. I mean, it's, it's just math. That's all it is. It's math. Now, yeah. you have to be, you have to have that thing, that it, right? You have to have that quality, whatever it is that, a successful author's habit. I don't know what it is. I, I feel very fortunate that I have what that is, whatever it is. But you have to have that, or else it's just boring that book, right? Well, you but have to have some kind of, like the sense of dr- dramatic structure and and story too. I mean, th- those are the things I think you're talking about. But you have to understand some of the elements of how you tell story with with conflict and drama at the center of it, or you're writing about mundane things that nobody cares about. So I want to tell you that I wrote Scarecrow God before I knew anything about the hero's journey, before I knew anything about archetypes, 
before I knew anything about the three-act structure. Um, but I knew it. It's like I knew it in my lizard brain. Yeah. Just knew it and told it to me. And then once I learned it, right, how to apply, you know, um, Chris Vogler and his hero's journey and everything else like that with Joseph Campbell and, 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 and all the other things, I was I was very then able to you know do it much better. In fact, you know now I'm a now now I'm a professor of creative writing, so so it you know it's, it's even that much easier. But I somehow had that it when I first started because I was able to just inculcate the knowledge without me even knowing I had it. Well, you yeah. know, I think part of it too is is we've been consuming media and stories, you know, whether it's movies, TV books we read for so long, right? Like you spend a lifetime yeah. and yeah. you're just kind of picking this stuff up. And when you kind of go into it without any really, you know, writing, storytelling background, I think you kind of muddle your way through it and you come out at the end with something. I think what, what really kind of helps, obviously, once you learn all the things is now you can go back and kind of fix those problems that are yeah. inherent in every first draft. Well, right. I think I yeah. think you know we're all the TV generation. I think we're all kind of the pop culture generation. We all, you know, we grew up watching all the TV shows and you know Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch or whatever, you know, all those old shows, Hawaii Five O, all the classic stuff. And so we learned storytelling from a lot of that stuff. You know, I was talking yeah. to somebody the other day about this, and I said, you know. He was like, you know, I struggle with my plot and being original and all this. I was like, well, that's because you're taking the first idea that comes in your head. The first idea that comes in your head is always the cliche idea. It's the one yeah. you've seen a million times on TV. You've read a million times in books. What you've got to do is wait for the, the – push it beyond that and wait for other ideas and then start mixing them up and figuring out ways to make twists and, and do them in a different order and bring that in. And then that's the way that you get to your own – tale that's unique that surprises people you know and and i think it's because we learn all all the stuff that we've learned and internalized is part of the process that we we bring to the table so it helps us and if you have a natural gift for story which all of us obviously have because we're successful writers you know then it just kind of it plays into that but i always tell people too that the magic happens in the rewrite i the hardest thing in the world is to get the book written the first time and get it done and then once it's done then you've got your foundation. Now you can actually decorate the house. So then you can clean everything up. You know. So I think there's, that's part of the process there's, too. There's two points of magic. One is in the re one is in the re rewrite. I, I agree, um, but it's less magic in the rewrite and more architecture in the rewrite to me. Um, the magic happens when I write something in chapter two, then I write something in chapter seven, then I write something in chapter twelve. And then in chapter 23, all those three things come together, and I never planned it. It never, it was never in oh, yeah. my mind. And I'm, I'm sitting there typing and going, oh, my God, this is like the best part of the book, right? And, and, and nobody might even know that, 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 that that's a good part, but they might think that I planned the whole thing out. I never did. It's just my lizard brain has kept track of it, and it's made sure that when I get to that point, um, it's, it's tied everything together. So to me, that's the first instance of magic. And when that happens, when I'm writing a book or a short story, I know that I'm doing well. Because, well, see, I because love, at that point, I know, it's, I, know it's, I know it's magic. 
Well, that's what I love about the rewrite, because I go back in and I discover some of that stuff that I didn't realize was there and the nuances that it brings to it, and I can massage that out a little bit and make it, you know, make it even more meaningful. Because, you know, yeah, I do that too. It just, everything comes together in a way that my mind did that I didn't even – it wasn't conscious, it was subconscious. Yeah, exactly. Is your yeah. process the same when you do short stories, or how does that differ from your novel writing? No, it's pretty much the same when I do short stories. Um, 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 short stories are, are short stories are my favorite medium. Um, I like I like those the most. Um, if I could make a living writing short stories, I would do that in a heartbeat, you know. But uh, you know that 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 ended with with uh, Ray Bradbury. So um, yeah. the thing is is that uh, I think it's a short story or novella is like the perfect length. And and that's just priceless. I mean, I was able to write two short stories or a short story and a, and a novella for Bain this year, um, which which I'm really super proud of. That are um, they just became just they can't. You know, it's like one of those things where you think about it, you think about it, you think about it. What am I going to write? What am I going to write? What am I going to write? And then you sit down and suddenly it's like boom, it's there. And you're like, where did it come from? Because I haven't been consciously thinking of it. The moment I started typing, it just started flowing, you know, yeah. as if by magic. And it's, it was just wonderful. I have this, the one I'm most proud of, it's called My Dog Skipper 2.0, which is about a, um, it's about a military mechanical working dog that has the, um, that has the brain of this former PTSD guy's service dog. And, huh. um, and it becomes it becomes basically like a Frankenstein, and it goes it, it it does more than it really should be doing, and and I wanted to write a modern day red yell uh, old yeller, mm. right? And it's 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 a modern day old yeller, and I'm very proud of that story. And those are going up on the Bain website. Uh, no, they're going to be a couple of anthologies coming up: uh, World War Three, and then World War. War, weird, weird World Wars. I don't know. Um, weird World War Three. Uh, I was in that one. That one's out, I think. But yeah, I got so you. so it's three and four. Uh, four and five, maybe. So. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Well, so you know, we've talked about this briefly at the beginning, but I want to thank you for your service. You did spend twenty some years in the military, and you've also, 39. you know, as a civilian, you're still you're still serving in war zones like Afghanistan. And I know you talked a little bit about that on social media. And there's a lot you can't say, but I was wondering, do you, you know, when you when you when you're deployed somewhere doing whatever, do you actually have time to write from the trenches, or do you have to put all that aside when you're deployed? So I wrote Brunt Life in Afghanistan in 2013, and it was a good place to write it because um, there's no more there's no more present a place where PTSD is more front and central than in Afghanistan when when I'm dealing with um, operators left and right. You know, I would go to the gym there at ISAF um, in Kabul, which is the main headquarters area, and I would I would look at um, these guys who I knew were either SF or Delta Force guys, and you know they're 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 doing their workouts, but they have eyes that are staring 2,000 miles away, you know, and I could see the PTSD on their faces, and and I could just feel for them. So I tried to I tried to honor them when I wrote Front Life, and you know I tried to you know use use that idea because so many times 
PTSD characters in fiction are the bad guys. They're like the freaky guys who are like doing road raids and the people on the t- on the clock tower shoot somebody. And right. I didn't want that to be the case. Um, Mike Mike Cole, a friend of mine, um, a fellow author, he, he writes for Del Rey primarily. Uh, he's out of New York, and um, uh, he's a he's a reserve officer. Uh, he said he wrote an essay called PTSD is like the weather. Anybody can encounter it. You, Philip, can encounter it. You, Brian, can encounter it. Anybody can encounter it. A soccer mom can encounter it. When you're driving your, your kids to soccer practice and you hit or you see the dog get hit by a car and you actually see the blood and the glass and everything that you, and you hear the cry of the dog and you drive on, guess what? Next time you see a dog sitting on the side of the road about to cross the street, you're going to feel a little bit panicked. You're going to feel that because it's, it's the way that our bodies and our, our, our emotions work. Um, I think PTSD is, is really important. Um, I've, been watching, I've been watching one of the, one of the uh, uh, police officers from Capitol Hill, uh, Michael Fanon, um, on TV recently. I don't know if you guys have seen him. Uh, he has PTSD like no business. You know, he's, he's honest with it. He's, he's talking about it. And he's, and he's saying that, you know, you know, what happened to me is just incredible and it should never happen again. And you look at his eyes, you look at his face, and I see people from Afghanistan in his face, and I feel bad for the guy. Because I have PTSD, right? But not to, not to that extent. I mean, there's a few things I can't do, and there's a few things that freak me out. And I've had my own little therapy, and it's all, it's all good. Um, but, but not like some of, the, some, of the, some of the door kickers. I mean, those guys, those, they, they really have it. You know. I can only imagine. I actually, I, I've been told I have the symptoms of it. I don't know whether I officially have it or not, but I, after a bunch of online bullying and stuff I experienced in 2013, 14, 15, there's things that just really freak me out and I get really panicky and stuff. And so I have a lot of these symptoms and I've, I've been in some therapy be for it. It's been really difficult it, for it, me. It, so it. I can relate. And, 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 and I just want to say this to anybody listening to this or watching this right now. If you ever think that you have any sort of issue or you have a friend of you, yours that has or, or family member who has any sort of issue, therapy is good. Therapy is not bad. Therapy is not stigma. Therapy is a very important thing. Get someone to talk to because you can't talk to your family about this stuff. You can't talk to friends about this stuff. You need somebody trained to talk about this stuff. And I did a significant amount of EMDR, um, uh, and, and, and that really helped me. And yeah. Uh, I just want to say that 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 the result of not going to help is the worst result possible. Well, learning how to cope is the trick because there's there's reactions that I've had that that like you know look back on them and go I, I'm like that was way over the top why did I do that you know and yeah. you know I have to I have to learn how to how to see it coming and you know take a deep breath or do what I need to do to kind of get control the situation to, and then remove myself you know that well, you know one thing therapy has taught me was to understand what the triggers are and a lot of times we don't know what our triggers are right 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 well so you know obviously you're you've written a lot of military sci-fi and a lot of stories about soldiers which you know makes sense given your background but one of the things I wanted to ask you and you've talked a little bit about this with the PTSD but what are some things when that you do differently because of your experience as in the military and writing stories about servicemen and women that maybe other authors might not? 
Well, I, I think there's a, a there's an authenticity in what I write. Yeah. Um, like if you if you read you know if you read Joel Haldeman, right? Anything by Joel Haldeman um, that, that that talks about the military. Uh, he has a short story collection that came out from uh, Night State Books about 15 years ago called War Stories. Incredible collection. And then of course his Forever War and Forever Peace. I mean, those are written by a person who has authentic uh, Vietnam War experiences. Then you have Joe Scalzi's um, Old Man's War, right? It's good. It's a good book. I don't want to take anything away from Joe. It's a great book. Um, but there are certain things in there. There are certain characters who could be more fuller had he had he experienced some of the things that you know we had experienced, right? Yeah. Um, um, and, and, and maybe that was a choice. Maybe he decided not to do that. Maybe he knew it. So I'm not, I'm not going to take anything away from Joe because his books are awesome. And he's a great, he's a great person. Um, um, but I'm just saying that just because you write it doesn't mean you know it. And to know the people is to be able to write the people. You know, they say, they always say, write, write what you know, right? Mm-hmm. I know this. This is yeah. what I know. I've lived it. I've breathed it. I've been to war. I've I've seen I've seen war. I've seen dead people. You know, I've been shot at. I've shot at people. You know, all that stuff. So, so I I know what all this stuff feels like. I don't have to pretend. You know. So, uh, I think I had a I had a father. This is something interesting. So this is not a war story. This is a short story I wrote called "The House of Small Spiders" that appeared on Nightmare Magazine online. Uh, two years ago, and um, I had a character who was a cutter in that story, um, and she described to her friend why she cut herself. And now I'm not a cutter; I've never been around cutters, but I did a lot of research, and I I just know people like that. And the father wrote me this long letter from my website, basically saying. Thank you. I finally understand why my daughter does this to herself because I, I, I gave her the passage that you wrote. I said, read this. And she read it and she said, yeah, that, that's exactly why I do it. And, and he said, because of you now I understand my daughter. I know it's not about me. And I know it's not about her. It's just an issue that we have to deal with. And it was, I mean, when I first read it, I cried because it's like, how can me, this this old crusty white guy figure this shit out, you know, on the edge of the universe here in Arizona. Um, yet I was able to do it, and I felt fortunate that I was able to a do it and be able to pass that information on, so that you know some random dad somewhere was able to come to terms with his daughter, and they can now talk about this stuff, right? Well, yeah, you're making a difference. It's, it's actually a powerful impact. Yeah. 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 And by the way, I don't. I don't want anyone to think that what I just said was bragging at all. I'm just trying to explain explain how lucky I feel that I was able to figure this out and, and just deliver a message that needed to be delivered. So. Yeah, no, I, no, no, no. I think, I think it's clear that you weren't bragging. Yeah, yeah it didn't okay, come good. off like that. And, 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 you know, and I've had experiences in the past where, you know, I, you know, someone has reached out after reading something that I've written and you know, you get that sense of like, oh, I, I, I obviously I, I, I tapped into something 
without either without either not knowing it or you know it could be also just a, a an experience that I've personally had and 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 put into it put into into words somebody else read it and they they were able to kind of share that that's that they had to share that's that powerful that, isn't it that's yeah powerful. well it, it is that's what it's all about I mean when I was a, I get it more. I got it more when I was a singer than I do as an author, and I kind of am disappointed by that. But I used to get people that would come up to me and were so moved by my music, and they would share stuff with me they wouldn't tell anybody, and just were so, you know, it, 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 I just knew I I touched their life in a very special, memorable way, and and boy, that just that makes it all worth it because I mean that's just like it's a gift. It's like it's like wow, who who knew that little old me could actually do that? You know, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a great feeling, and and yeah, I think it's part of a, the reason why a lot of us got into this, right? We wanted to to say something, you know, and, and that had that meant something, yeah. yeah, yeah. It is, it is. You know, you always, you know, I mean, there's there's part of you that wants to just entertain, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also part of you that wants to move a mountain. Yeah, and you know, we don't we don't always know what that mountain is, but we 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 still want to move that mountain, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you've been doing this for, for, for a while now and obviously you've written a ton of stuff. What kind of advice would you give to someone who wants to break into writing? Right, right. A person's worst enemy is their own idea that they can't write. And what I, what I, what I tell people is, is like, they'll say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad writer. I'm like, okay, well, how much, how much have you published? They'll say nothing. How much have you, have you written? They'll say nothing. Well, then why are you taking your own advice? You don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, why are you taking your own advice? Will you take advice of somebody who's, like, like if somebody told you to drive and they've never driven before, will, will you take advantage of, you know, advice of somebody who told you to, you know, build a building and, and they've never picked up a hammer? Don't take their advice. So you can't take your own advice. So the yeah, deal is just right. It's funny because when I do workshops, I, I always clarify and say, you know, everybody raise your hand who's actually completed a work of writing. You're the writers. The rest of you are still trying to get there. When you've actually got something done, then you can say you've done it because that's the hardest part is getting something done. So I, I hear you. You know, just it's just just right because the biggest fear is self doubt, and the thing is, is you know, a lot of people will fall in the sort of self doubt and, and and kill their creativity. Um, and the thing is, is don't do it. I mean, you yeah. see the sword right there. You fall on it on your own. It, you decide to do it. So it's, so it's you decide to kill your own creativity. It's not like somebody's coming up to you. So just write. Yeah. Because the more yeah. you write, the better you get. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer in, of, in uh, the whole ass and seat, you know, <laughs> school of writing. Just get your ass in the seat and uh, just start typing away. Um and, and I'm also, I'm also like a big believer, in, and this has helped me. You know, it's part of my process. Is you gotta be okay with that crappy first draft. You know, oh yeah, you gotta be okay with. You know, I refer to my first draft as my vomit draft. I mean, and and just even shifting my thinking into like, what's the vomit draft? Obviously, it's I've never seen good vomit. So, it, just even being able to accept that. And, and knowing that is is it just allows you to put the words on the paper, 
you know, well, I think a lot friend, of people. That's what my friend people, Chris Golden says. He says, just vomit the words of the paper, get it out, get it done, get it on there, so that you can do what Brian says is the magic and do the second edit. Yeah. Um, well, I think you know, a lot of people are work. writing vomit and don't realize there's gold in there too. I mean, you know, there, there, when you do your first draft, there's always going to be stuff you're going to have to polish up and fix and cut and do various things to. But there's also some real gems that will come out that spontaneously you'll just be like, wow, that was good, you know. And so I don't think you have the perspective until you get it done to go back and look at it and really objectively see what you've got. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons that I have as much success as I have is because I set a really high bar when I first started writing. I told myself that I would not be published. I would not accept any publication short of professional publication. And um, over 140 stories, I can name probably six or seven that aren't pro-rate, and I can name about 10 or 12 that are charity. Um, And so because of that, because I started out like that, with the hubris saying that I'm not going to get published unless it's a, it's a, it's a pro-rate magazine or whatever. I had 42 rejections um, before I made my first sale. I could have I could have sold it to, sold stuff to afford the love market or whatever. But what happens when you, when you put a high bar like that is it forces you to get better faster. I really believe that. I believe that people who settle for um, publishing for the love market or submitting to markets that pay less than pro rates, one cent a word, two cent a word. They're the, they're they're. Um, I think they're settling for mediocrity because because uh, the true pros aren't submitting to those. They're submitting to the to the pro max. You know, yeah. that's why my well, first rejection was from Weird Tales, right? You definitely can get a false sense of success out of it. You can, you can, and if and if and if you get that success from from mediocrity, then then what's your what's your idea of trying to get better? There isn't any really because you've now achieved what you think is the ultimate. Yeah. And um, I and I I feel once again lucky that I set that standard for myself at the beginning. Um. um and like forty two rejections in. I made my first sale, and then the next eighteen or the next twelve months, I sold eighteen stories. Well, you also magazine. You also learn by you also learn by doing, though. You know, Weston, I know you know that. I mean, I know you experienced that. So much of you know what I do gets better every time I write something. You know, because I learn from my previous mistakes. I learn from different things. I embody stuff that from stuff I've read or studied or whatever. You know, so that's part of the process too. It is. It is. And by the way, my last um, my last physical magazine short story acceptance, Weird Tales. There you go. Is this the for first, Jonathan my first rejection? My first rejection, and now I'm finally in Weird Tales. There you go. And this, this, is this the Jonathan Mayberry revival, or is this? No, yeah. this is a this this is the Jonathan Mayberry revival. This is the first one they did after um, the first unseen anthology. Next next or first unseen magazine. Next one's going to be Sword and Sorcery. Um, Michael Borkoff is going to be having a um, a uh, excerpt of his new Elric novel there, and I am in the process of interviewing Michael Borkoff, um, which is um, which is definitely a bucket list for me. Um, I was told I was told I don't 
I was told, you know, it's only $100. And I'm like, really? Well, I can afford 100 bucks." And he says, oh, no, I'm paying you 100 bucks. But, oh, okay. <laughs> because, because I would have paid 100 bucks just to, just to interview Michael Bartok. Are you kidding? So, 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 so I've, been, I've been back and forth with Mike on several emails the last two weeks. And it's kind of nice. It's kind of fun. That's yeah. great. So, are there any uh, future projects that you'd like to talk about before we uh, before we close yeah. the show? Um, well, Besides the in the short term, in the short term, it's the Sir Gawain project. So, what's funny is that I had been the last two years working on modernizing Sir Gawain of the Green Knight because um, you know I'm an, I'm an MFA in creative writing and and um, I read Sir Gawain in high school. I think it's the only one in my high school who read it, and um, I loved it. And then I and then, you know, working on it, just kind of like slow and, you know, back burner, side hustle type thing. And then I saw that at the end of July, there's a movie coming out from A24 with Jeff Patel playing Sir Gawain the Green Knight. And if you haven't seen the previews for it, holy smokes, it looks awesome. It, it's just amazing looking. So I'm like, well, I better really just get out the pot right now. I better start working. So um, I got with uh, Dark Moon Books, and Eric Wigdard is going to publish um, um, not only my modernization, but what's funny is my name is Weston Oaks. The first English, modern English translation was by Jesse Weston. <laughs> and Weston is, a, is, a, is an English Welsh name that means uh, like a Western, um, a Western um, area that yeah. You know, surrounded by whatever. So, so there's a, there's a synchronicity there, and it's also going to have the original Middle English version and an afterword by Dr. Jay Riddler, who's an unconventional worker scholar. And what what another piece of synchronicity is that I'm a member of HWA, the Horrors Association, and two of my ten mentors that I had over the over the over the series of years, one was Eric Rignard, who's going to be publishing this, who's won several. Um, uh, Bram Stoker Awards, and the other one is Jay Riddler, who is going to be writing the afterword for this. Um, so, so it's it's it, it's kind of nice that this whole thing is coming about. And Ivan Navarro is going to be writing eight, uh, drawing eight different illustrations for the interior. So, um, and they're just amazing, let me tell you. So, um, the reason I'm 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 promoting this is because it's a timeless book. Um, uh, it's, this is going to be around forever. Educators are going to get, get a discount for it. Um, and it's one of those books where whether you're a fan or an educator or a scholar or whatever, or if you're, if you're just, if you like King Arthur or you're a King Arthur scholar or a completist, you have to buy it because, because it's all about King Arthur, Camelot, and Knights of the Round Table. So, yeah. a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah, well, and that's cool. I didn't even know you, you know, I've worked, obviously I've worked with your wife, too, and I didn't know she did illustration, so that's cool. Oh, she's won, she's won major art awards all over the world, yeah. I mean, I mean she's a, she's a, she's a, a big time acrylic artist, absolutely. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, hey, listen, thanks for taking time to chat with us. It's really been a fun conversation about writing. It's always fun to chat with authors that I whose work I enjoy, and you're one of them, of course. And, and uh, you know, uh, where can people tr- who want to listen, who listen to this that want to track you down, where should they go to find you? 
you're on Facebook, I know, and Twitter. What do you what do you have going on? What's the best place to find you? So I'm at Facebook. You can either just just type in my name, Weston Oaks, your badass writer, because because I'm at Facebook slash badasswriter.com. Um, uh, because I took that name early on, and uh, or you, you go to you can go to my website westinoaks.com, or even better, I mean, if you want to know what's going on right away, really soon, and you want a lot of free content, um, I'm doing a lot of free stuff on my Patreon site. Um, well, not necessarily free. I mean, you have to pay different levels, but but a lot of a lot of uh, exclusive content on my Patreon site to include. A novel I'm currently writing with Brian Keene called Monsters of Saipan, which um, uh, has to do with uh, 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 kaiju, the mafia, CIA, and um, the uh, uh, cartel. So if if you like any of those, you're gonna love this book. I like all those things. So yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Every year, every year, there's there's a battle of mini kaiju to see who's gonna be the number one crime family on the island. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think you're. I'm hooked already. Just just hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's great. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. We're having such a great time. We're now on chapter thirteen of about thirty-five chapters. So so we're we're clicking every Wednesday. There's a new a, a new chapter pops. Well, there you go. So everybody, check all this stuff out. Check out Weston. He's he's pretty easygoing guy. He's fun to interact with on social media. I do it all the time. And check out his books. And uh, you know, I'm I'm sure there's something you'll like. He's got a lot of different stuff out there. And uh, like like you said, his latest is Aliens Infiltrator, which is out from Titan Books, and you can check that out. But you can find most of his stuff in any of your bookstores. Thanks again, Weston. This is John Talk. You know, I have never actually talked with Wes. I've worked with him several times. We've never actually talked on the phone. That was the first time. So that was really fun for me because he's he's a hell of a nice guy. I think the first time I worked with him was on the Jonathan Mayberry's um, Joe Ledger anthology that we did, Unstoppable. And then I worked with him on Predator, If It Bleeds. And since then, we've we've run into each other a number of times and worked on some stuff. And I've read at least one of his books and, and edited, you know, like I said, several stories, at least three, four or five now, I think. And he's, he's just a really, really talented guy. He happens to be married to another writer named Yvonne Navarro, too, which I don't think we talked about Vaughn in this interview, but that's a, she's for Alien fans. She wrote uh, a, a book called, I think, Music of the Heart, one of the most popular alien novels ever. And she's written a lot of other tie-in stuff. She's really talented. And she also writes some originals. So anyway, it was a fun conversation for us, especially as writers, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, so I think it's it's super interesting for me. Uh, I mean, one, he, he does a lot, you know, one of his big things that he does is, of course, the kind of military horror thing. And I think his experience in the military is part of what really helps to kind of, it adds like a layer of authenticity. Like, you know, for, for those who don't know, I, I was I was in the Army many, many, many years ago. And I tend to love, like, you know, military horror, uh, you know, kind of post-apocalyptic stuff. That has kind of like a, usually a, some kind of like military character uh, as a protagonist, and I've read so many of those books that just kind of lack authenticity. As, as a person that was in the military, you could kind of read something and be like, uh, "That doesn't sound right," you know. But I think one of the things that like Weston brings is 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 that you know he was in the service for 
for a very long time, and it's just it's it, it's it's great to be able to take have someone like that take that experience and then you know like really apply it to uh, to the books that he writes. I think it's it's great. He's got uh, yeah. interesting perspective too because he's been an independent contractor mm-hmm. working up there in Afghanistan as well as in the military. So he brings kind of different angles to it, and he's seen it from different sides. So he he he, he incorporated PTSD into his Grunt series. Mm-hmm. That's the great. Angle yeah. is really interesting. So um, I think his stuff also, you know, is there's a lot of people who write about this who don't aren't as in touch with the modern soldier and modern warfare. He is. Yeah. You know, he was in Afghanistan when he did his Infinite Star story for me, and I think that was 2019. He wrote that story, I think, in Afghanistan, if I recall right. Yeah. So he literally was over there, and we would email every once in a while. So he was, you know, he, he's like fresh from the field of, of battle, so to speak. So that also adds a lot, because what he's writing about is modern warfare. Well, yeah. futuristic warfare, but it, it's got that modern edge. He knows what the technology is capable of. He knows where they're going. I think one of the the the, the, the one of the coolest things that I, I just really love about all the kind of like the work he's done is you know and, and is SEAL Team Six Six Six. Okay, so really quickly, like anyone who's ever written a book or you know written you know movies or anything, whatever it is, like one of the one of the really difficult things to do sometimes is like position your story or position your book or your movie. And, you know, uh, titles are such a big part of that. And you, if I just say to you, Oh, what's this book? It's called seal team six, six, six. It pretty much positions exactly what that book is about. You kind of just know it just by hearing that title. And I think that's just a it's just a work of genius. And I think it was great when he kind of told us the the kind of just the way that 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 title just kind of came about. I think that was a, that was a great story. Well, he also it, talked yeah. a little bit about uh, the Rock has optioned it for film, so hopefully we'll be hearing a little bit about that. And I hope something comes of it. Anyway, if you want to check out how to follow him, you can check out our show notes at anchor.fm/slash/genre/podcast. We also post links to all of this stuff at facebook.com/slash/genre/talk. And, um, of course, you can follow our Twitter, John Talk, and uh, check out all of our past episodes. We have, I think, this is episode 15 of this season. We have 14 first-season episodes up, and we have a special episode where I interview Philip, and you, you can hear all about Philip, who works with um, Riot Games, and all kinds of stuff. So, anyway, we hope you enjoyed this week's show. The next show is going to have author Livia Blackburn, who is a who's actually talking about her children's book, but she's written a number of YA novels and children's books and different things, as well as a she's a brain scientist and she's written a really cool book analyzing how the brain functions when it comes to reading that we talk about. So that'll be a fun episode. That'll be in two weeks. So you definitely want to check that out. Meanwhile, we thank you for giving us a listen and trying out our show. We hope you enjoy it. And guys, stay safe out there and have a great two weeks till we meet again. This is Shana Todd. Genre Talk is hosted by Brian Thomas Schmidt and Philip Vargas. Music for Genre Talk is Your Guess Why by DJ Manifesto. Editing was by Randy Strew for Envision Podcasting. Copyright 2021 to Brian Thomas Schmidt and Philip Vargas. Thank <laughs> you.